Well, good morning, everybody. Wow, thanks for being here. You know, it's not often all three of our locations get to come together in one place, and when we do, it's really special. Today, we're going to be talking about what it means to be better together, and I want to start out just looking at a couple of things the first century church did, because if you read about the ancient church and what they did together, uh, they accomplished something that has not been matched since. They were in an era of persecution. Uh, they were a brand new faith, and yet they grew. Governments were against them. Family was against family. Friend was against friend. And yet the first century church somehow grew to where it's still in existence 2,000 years later. Have, did they discover something in the first century that we need to go back and rediscover over and over again? And I think they did. And so today we're going to start out sharing communion together the same way Christians have for a couple thousand years. In the book of Acts chapter 2, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And we're going to look at the scriptures that follow that one today. But I want to stop right there and consider what their life must have been like, what they must have been doing every single day to be able to give so much attention to this time together, to sharing this time called the Lord's Supper. Something we do every week that, that can become a routine, but today let it be something special. It says that they were devoted. And that word devoted, uh, we kind of think about love and relationship, uh, and that is true, but the word devoted there in the original language meant deeply committed to adhere to one, to be his adherent, to give unremitting care to a thing. So what it meant that they were devoted, it meant that they never stopped. That in spite of hardship, in spite of persecution, in spite of their own attitudes, they just kept going and they stayed devoted to Christ together. Because that's what drew them all together, this message of Christ that they saw changing themselves, but they also saw it as something that was going to change the world. And what grew out of that was learning. What grew out of that was their fellowship, their relationship, their togetherness. And the Lord's Supper was an important part of what they did. In spite of everything that was going on, somehow they had this fellowship time where they shared this meal together. Now for them, it would have been connected to a meal. We do it a little bit differently, but we still have the same elements and we still do the same two things. One thing we do is we remember what Christ has done. That's why we share in communion, to remember what he's done, but also as this symbol of being together, of being one in Christ, of having this unity with all believers, and especially here at our local church, sharing communion together. And so I'm just going to give you some space, about a minute or so. There was a note card in each seat when you came in. There should be pins around in the backs of the seats or down below your feet somewhere. Uh, pass them around if you don't have a pen, but take one of those note cards out. And here's, here's what I want you to do. Look back over the past year. 
We're in the last day of 2017, and before we share this communion together, look back over the past year, the ups and the downs, the fears, the joys, maybe even the heartache that you had to endure. But see, how many things you can list, and this is something you're just going to keep for yourself. We're not going to ask you to share it with anybody. How many things can you list where it was clear God was at work in your life, where you felt the spirit of Christ in you and among you, or you saw God's spirit at work? So just take a moment as John continues to play and write those things down. And after you do that, I'll guide you through taking of the elements. So take a moment now and do that. Followers of Christ regularly celebrate all that he's done in their life. Maybe for you, it was that he brought you through a difficult time. Maybe you were in a time of confusion and he brought clarity. Maybe you're still in the middle of it. Maybe you experienced some great joys over the past year. Maybe you have to think back a long way before you can remember, when was Jesus truly at work in my life and I felt it? Well, this time of communion is our time to remember that and celebrate that. And so take those elements out that were passed around and peel back that top layer. And at the first layer, you'll find a little piece of bread. That bread represents the body of Christ. And just like Jesus did on the night he was betrayed, take, eat, and remember what Christ has done in your life. And then peel back the second layer and you'll see juice. And that represents the blood of Christ that, that by being spilt was meant the forgiveness of sins for everyone. Your forgiveness. Drink that and remember what Christ has done. Let's pray. God, as we begin this day by remembering what you have done, Father, no matter what we wrote down on our card, whether it was joys or heartaches or struggles or moments of clarity or moments of confusion, Father, we celebrate all that you have done among us. And individually, as followers of Christ, we celebrate what you have done in each of us. And as one church together, we share in this time of communion. We praise you for what you've done in our church and in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
You know, people go to church for a lot of different reasons. Uh, and, and at least in my mind, here's some, here's some different ways that people see church. Some people come to church and it's kind of like going to the theater, going to the movies. It's for entertainment. You come to church and you're sitting there, uh, you're like an audience and there's a stage up here and there's lights and there's a guitar and there's instruments and there's a, people singing. And, and so it's kind of like you're going somewhere where you're an audience and there's people performing and then you rate that. At least that's how it is in my mind. It's like they're rating me. They're like, if they could hold up stuff, they would, they would hold up numbers. And even if you wouldn't hold up a number, you're thinking it. You're thinking, I like that. I didn't like that. That was really good. Oh, that didn't really mean a lot to me. That came across really clear. What in the world was he talking about? And, and it becomes like this theater, like entertainment. And it's hard not to because of the way we have the whole thing set up. If you can come up with a better way, let me know how to gather this many people multiple times a day and it not feel like that. But so some people come just to get whatever they can get. And other people come to church and treat it more like a restaurant. Hey, I'm here to be served. Like you'll go to lunch today. You're there to be served. When I go eat, I'm going to have some expectations. I expect this place to have a 90 or above rating. Or I'm not going to eat there. I expect to get reasonably prompt service. Because why? Because I'm paying for it. That part comes later in the service. But some people... They come to church and it's just like a restaurant. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get what I can get. I'm, gonna, I'm here to pay for this, and this better go well. And then some people treat church like a gas station. How many people are drive on the red light as long as you can, people, when, when your gas light comes on? Yeah, oh, come on, tell the truth. There's more than that. I'm not the only one. But some people treat church like that, like they feel like, well, some things are not going well in my life. I feel a little empty, so I'm going to go get filled up. I'm just going to go by. I'm going to get a message, get some music, and, and I'm feeling a little low. Uh, just like when my gas hand's a little low, I'm going to pull in the gas station. I'm feeling a little low, so I'm going to dedicate an hour, and I'm going to go to church. And I want to get filled up. And those people up on the stage, their job is to fill me up. While all three of those are realities that how we might view church or come to church thinking those things at different times, they're all wrong. That's not what it was for. That's not what the body of Christ is for. When we look at the ancient church and how they lived out their faith, it's quite different than a theater or a restaurant or a gas station. In fact, if you read Acts chapter 2, you get a perfect picture of what the first century church looked like. It says, beginning in verse 42, which I already read, all the believers were devoted, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 
Now, if you're writing notes on this section of Scripture, this is where the Holy Spirit has revealed to us and worked in the first century to show us what the church was intended to be, what it was supposed to look like, how people were going, supposed to be interacting with each other. This is God letting us know that we're better when we're together. We're better when we're all in unity, moving together in the same direction. Now, in our culture, we talk about this personal faith. We talk about people having a personal faith. It's my personal faith. It's mine. It's personal. And, and I practice it the way I want, and it's just personal. I'm going to follow Jesus on my own. And while it is true that there is an element of your faith that is between you and God, and you initially come to Jesus on your own and make a decision personally to follow Christ, there's really no teaching in the New Testament that talks about this personal faith. It's all lived out in the context of a community of believers doing it together. So people that say, I'm just going to go off, live in the mountains, live my faith on my own. There is no example, no, no encouragement even to do that from God's word. In fact, the encouragement from God's word is quite the opposite. The examples from God's word are quite the opposite. It's living out our faith together with other people who share our faith as we invite new people in to have the faith that we have. So here's what this short section of scripture reveals about the first century church, and it gives us a great example to lay out for ourselves. The church is a community of people seeking God together. It says that they were devoted to the teaching that they received from the apostles, and that teaching was about Jesus. That teaching was about people who are far from God getting to know that Jesus can forgive their sins, saying yes to Jesus, him radically changing their lives, and then they invite other people in on it. They were committed and devoted to this idea that God is the God that gives people second chances. That God is the God that no matter how bad you've messed up or how much you've done or how far you've wandered away or how many people you've hurt or what's been done to you, you get a second chance. And they were devoted to that, so much so that they invited other people in and said, you got to come and get this other chance. you got to come and meet this Jesus who will give anybody, no matter where they are in life, no matter what they're doing, they get a second chance. And they were devoted to them, to that. And it was such a life changer for them that it affected everything about their life. It affected the way they live day to day. It affected their decisions and their relationships. It affected their finances. It affected their free time. It affected everything. You know, if you're not in one of our study groups, small groups that meet different times of the day around the city, here's what you're missing out on. You're missing out on a group of people, and these are primarily uh, guys groups and, and ladies groups, but here's what you're missing out on. You're missing out on people sitting around maybe in a coffee shop, Five or six people sitting around looking at God's word and asking two questions. What does it say and what am I going to do about it? That's what the first century church did. What did the apostles teach us and what are we going to do about it? And they did it together. The church is also a community of people living life together. See, their faith brought them together in this special relationship 
that was beyond just a friendship. That was beyond just an acquaintance. It was a relationship where they shared faith in Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important that every person that calls our church their church home and anybody that says, hey, that's the church I attend, that you're engaged with other people who share your faith, that you're regularly engaged in conversation and community. That's why we go on and on about groups because there's a part of following Christ that you will never, ever get sitting where you are. You won't. We could fill this room up 10 times in a day, and if all that people did was come here and sit in these rows, there's a part of what God wants for you that you will never have. There's a part of your faith you'll never get to enjoy. Are you going to live your faith and then go to heaven when you die? Of course. But you're not going to enjoy it along the way like you could, and you're going to miss out on a lot if you just sit right there. Because rows are good for this. Rows are good for getting inspired. Rows are good for singing together or receiving teaching together. Rows are great for that. Rows are not good for building relationships. Rows are not good for getting people connected. You know what's good for that? Circles. And that's why you hear us say quite often when we talk about groups is that circles are better than rows. Living life in a circle of other people who share your faith and can encourage you, that's what the first century church did, and that's what we seek to do. Because together, you grow in Christ. If you feel like, you know, my relationship with Christ has grown cold, usually what happens first, you start looking for something else to blame. Maybe it's a church, maybe it's not, but you start looking for something else to blame, and most of the time when I hear people talking about, my relationship's growing cold, I'm just not growing, I'm just not getting what I need to get. Well, are you in a group where you're opening up God's Word with other people and studying it? No, I'm not in that, but I'm not getting what I need to get. Most of the time, that's what happens. So if your relationship with Christ is starting to grow cold, and you feel like you're just not getting what you need to get, well, get in a group. Get in a circle of other people. Open up God's word and say, what does it say and what do I need to do about it? See, sharing life in a circle of other people, it helps keep you accountable. It helps keep you focused on the right things. When you say yes to Jesus and you don't get in community with others who follow Christ, it's like what's going to happen over the next few weeks. Some of you have bought exercise equipment that is going to be more of a clothes hanger than it is a calorie burner for you. Some of you are going to get a gym membership. If you go to a gym, you know what's going to happen over the next few weeks? It's going to be more crowded. But just hang on because it won't last because it'll little by little people will stop coming. Growing my faith is something I have to take an active role in. It's not a passive thing. I can't grow your faith for you. I can equip. I can teach. We can involve you in inspiring experiences, but you have to take an active role. There's personal responsibility involved in growing your faith. It's not something that just happens because you come and sit for an hour. So if you're banking on an hour a week, rocking your world and changing you and helping you be a better dad, a better mom, friend, brother, sister, follower of Christ you're going to be disappointed because I'll disappoint you. The music will be too loud or too soft or too something one day and you won't like it. If you're banking on one hour a week 
you're going to be disappointed in your faith. The church was also a community of people living generously. And what it describes is people who met together and they met each other's needs. They would look at the very poor among them and say, how can we help? Now, what did they do? They sold things and they gave that money to help people who didn't have to get by with the basic necessities of life. Now, that doesn't mean we have to sell all of our stuff and give the money away, but it does mean that generosity is a clear characteristic of the true church, of the ancient church. They were generous with what they had. They had land, so they sold it. And so when we talk about you being generous with your finances, it's not just an exercise to help us do what we do. It's an exercise to help you continue to grow in your faith. Because a community of believers are better when they're generous together. And they served each other. They didn't just give to help each other financially. They served each other. They made sure each other's needs were met. And I don't know how this came about. And we're going to continue to call this, hey, we're having our services at 930 and 11 or 1115. We're having a service on this night or this day. But the word service is the worst word we could possibly use to describe what we're doing right here. Because what happens is we think we've served because we came to service. But service is what you do for somebody else. Service is what you look out at the world and say, where am I needed? I'm going to go help and I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go ease suffering and I'm going to go provide encouragement and I'm going to love my city. That is service. So remember, every time we say services are at 930 or 9, you say, well, that's not really what they mean. Because we're just coming here to gather together, to be inspired, to go and serve and let other people know about Jesus. And that scripture that I read to you in Acts 2, 42 through 47, it gives us the results. When they lived a certain way, they got certain results. You know what the result of them being together was? Go back to the, the second part of that verse. The result, it says that they praised God and enjoyed the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So people on the outside saw what they were doing and they either asked, how can I get in on that? You guys look like you're having a blast. Like, I want to be a part of that. You look like you're able to deal with stuff in ways other people can't. Let me in on that. And not only were they inviting people to join them, people were joining them because they were together. They were moving forward with the mission of the church. Not too long ago, I was talking to this guy in my neighborhood. And I love it when, when you bring me your friends and say, I invited them to church. Because we talk about inviting a lot. We talked about this key habit. But we want everybody to have this habit of inviting their friends because that'll change everything about our church if we just get serious about inviting our friends to experience what we've experienced. And so when I do that, uh, a lot of you will come up and say, here's my friend. I brought my friend. I just wanted you to know I brought my friend. I listen. And that it really encourages me. Don't stop doing that. But I love it when I'm out in the community and I hear somebody talk about our church. So I'm in my neighborhood one day. I'm talking to this guy. He has no idea who I am. And somehow church comes up. And I said, well, I go to church uh, on Durant Road at Life Point Church. And he's like, I've heard of that church. 
man, I've driven by and I've seen the, I've seen the parking lot full and I've seen people in and out and it jams up traffic on Durant Road. And he's telling me about this church he's heard about. And he said, I said, well, you should come visit. He said, I will. Is the preacher any good? And I was like, well, you know, you're just going to have to come and check it out. Like I've heard both. So maybe he is, maybe he's not, but you need to come and check it out. But I walked away from that conversation. He interacted with somebody in our church. He drove by and something about that interaction made him want to learn more. So the church is a community that grows larger together. When the church is the church, there's goodwill and God adds to our number. That's a mark of the church. That's why when people say, I just need my little group in my house. That's my church. Well, maybe it is, but your house shouldn't be big enough for very long because if, it's, if that's the church then God's going to be adding to the number. If that's the church, then people are going to see that and be attracted to it, and you're going to welcome them in, and then your house is not going to be big enough anymore. So what's, what's the good of gathering in a home? Well, it's to share life with each other. It's to help each other grow in our faith. But don't neglect this and this inspirational time that we can spend together. People wanted to be a part of the church they wanted to belong, and that hasn't changed about humans since then. Just think of all the ways we divide up our communities or divide up our population, and people become part of things that are good and bad. Why? Because they feel accepted. You may have seen the study that was done several years ago about uh, inner city gangs and the reason kids get in inner city gangs. You know the number one reason? Because they want a sense of belonging. Now, they're probably getting in a gang to do stuff they shouldn't do, but they still are motivated by this desire that's in each of us to belong. So, what about us, one church, being together? We'll see results. Now, I don't know if I don't know if uh, I wrote this down or if it came out of my head or if, if I heard a quote and I wrote it down. But in one of my Bibles, I have written right by this section in Acts, I have this written down. If we do what they did, would we get what they got? So if we do what they did in the first century, would we be able to enjoy God adding to our number daily? Would be, we be able to enjoy goodwill that that surpasses personalities and, and preferences, would we be able to enjoy that? If we do what they did, would we get what they got? There's a fourth century book called Against the Galileans, and it talks about how Roman Emperor Julian was very intimidated by fourth century Christians. And he was intimidated because of the way they pulled together and had unity. And here's what he said. He said, we're in trouble if we don't stop these Christians. They are caring for people, visiting the graves of the unknown, feeding the hungry, treating slaves as brothers, taking care of people who are not part of them. If we don't stop them, we're in trouble. See, he thought that what made Christianity so successful was not necessarily what they believed, but the way they lived. And so he made this order to his officials. He said, stop going to the theater, stop drinking at bars, stop working in jobs that are disgraceful. Instead, build hostels and shelters, he told his officials. We can't really stop them, he said, so we have to outlove them. He said, we have to act more like the Christians. 
So he saw something and said, they have something special. So if we're as together as the early church was, would we get what they got? Yes. The way God has worked among our church in the past year, it's been amazing. Like if I just put a bunch of numbers and graphs, it would be record, 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 record. Because God is at work among us. Because you have unity. Because you are moving forward together around one mission. And so as we close out this year, I want to make a commitment to you on behalf of all of our staff, all of our leaders. Here's our commitment to you. When we gather like this, we promise you a couple things. And here's what we're going to be committed to. We're going to have gatherings, services, that we will do everything within our ability to engage and inspire. That you will come and you will feel this engagement with the Holy Spirit of God through what we do to help guide us through that, whether it's music or stories or teaching or some other kind of experience that helps guide you to be inspired, that engages you in the moments that we're together. The next thing we commit to is providing a clear next step. That the experience doesn't die with the hour. That the experience lives on through the next steps that you're going to take. We're starting a new series at the end of January that I'm really excited about for our church. It's called Love Where You Live. And we're going to be talking about what does it look like if I, as a follower of Christ, what if I love my neighbor? What if I love my neighborhood? What if I love my city? What if I truly love where I go to school, where I play sports, where I work? What does that look like for the follower of Christ? And we're going to spend several weeks just talking about this is how you love where you live. So get in a group to experience that. Get on our app and sign up for a group and learn how and experience loving where you live. And we have some big goals for the new year. And I'm not going to share many of those today, but you're going to see them revealed throughout the year. And you've heard about many of them already over the past few months, but there's big ones because we believe God's going to do big things among us. So I wouldn't make a commitment to you, though, without asking you to make a commitment to me. So here's what we're asking of you. Do what you're already doing. Show up and invite somebody to come with you. Just develop that habit of, I'm going to show up and I'm going to ask somebody to come with me. Be generous, just like they were in the first century. Generous with your time, generous with your money. Be generous. I was blown away by the generosity in this last quarter. As we started this new journey at our church, it's going to last a couple of years called Unfinished. We not only finished the year strong, we exceeded our budget. We've never done that before. And that was because of your generosity. Another thing I ask that you do is pray for me. Pray for the staff. If you're in any kind of a leadership position anywhere, you know it's not easy. You know tough decisions have to be made. You know that that sleepless nights have to be had. You know that. So pray for me. Pray for our staff. Because I think more than anybody else, I get to see the energy and effort these amazing people have dedicated their lives to. And they're not all standing up here telling you about it like I get to. They're just day after day working to help people get connected with God, working to help you take next steps. So pray for them. And then the last thing that I ask you to do in the coming year is to take some next steps out of this gathering. Don't just come and sit in rows. Don't just, 
you know, if you're a church shopper, like, thanks for stopping in today, but, but find a place and stay. It might not be here, but just find a place and stay. That's what we ask everybody. Hey, give it five tries, you know. You might not like one week, but the next week may be awesome. So give it five tries and keep coming. That's why we say that. But take some next steps out of this gathering where we've committed to inspiring you and engaging you, then take that and let that live on past this hour. I believe when the church is the church, people can't help but be attracted to it because it's the body of Christ. People can't help but want to know more. And the greatest mystery to me when I read through the Bible is how God uses us imperfect people, messed up people, mistake-filled people. He uses us to present a perfect savior to the world. That's what he does. Let him do that through you in the coming year. Even if, he's ne- if you've never felt that before, let him work through you like never before. So I want to celebrate a few things as we, uh, we're going to, I'm going to put some numbers on the screen. We're going to celebrate together and then we're going to sing a couple songs together and then, and then we'll be going on with our day. And so here's a couple things that we want to be celebrating. And these are just numbers, 139. You know what that represents? That represents the number of people who were baptized this year. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. There were years when, uh, years it's been less than that. It's never been more than that. That's the most ever in a year. Uh, I remember we used to have a goal. What if we had 52, one representing each week in a year, and we far surpassed that. 23, that's how many new groups got started since September. That's how many people committed to being... In a circle outside of this, 1,060, that's how many people are in groups in our church, all three locations together. 745, that is, it's coming to me, that's the number of people, that's the number of people who get, the number of families who are regular givers, financial givers to our church. That represents a couple thousand people that say, I'm giving of my resources to our church. That's a really great number for a church our size. Yep. 836, that's the number of people that are involved in serving on a team in some way. So if if you're an usher, if you're a greeter, work with our kids, work with our teens, uh, play in uh, in the band, whatever you do to serve, people back in the booth back there, that is the number of people that say, I care enough about this church, I'm going to step up beyond Sunday morning and I'm going to serve. This number, one, we can do a big applause at the end. One, you know what that represents? That represents the numbers of buildings we committed to buying in 2017. Yeah. What that represents is the building that we are in the process of purchasing in Cary for our Cary location. Um, I'll just tell you a little bit about it. It's right there. If you're not from Cary, you probably don't know where that is, but 590 West High Street over there on the uh, southwest, off Southwest Cary Parkway. Uh, here's a little aerial shot of it. And it's, uh, it's eight acres. Uh, it's 13,000 square foot building, a little bit more than that. We're going to kind of redo it and make it look like us a little more. Uh, it's currently a church and has been since it was built in 2009, but uh, the church uh, decided it was time to sell. And so we were right there in line and we were able to get a great price and we bought it. And that all closes on January 17th. But let me tell you a little bit about what this better together really means. So that location of our church, if you're from our Cary location, you know the history 
that used to be our LifePoint West, we called it. Uh, and that came to be because a 50-year-old church came to us and said, hey, what if we did this together? Like, what if we became LifePoint? And so we worked through that. We got this building gifted to LifePoint Church, uh, and people came along, and we, we continued to use that building on Western Boulevard until we decided, you know what, we need to move beyond this. We kind of need to, to move out where people are coming from. And so four years ago, we decided to do that. We sold that building. We took some of the money. We put it in an account. We took a lot more of the money, and we helped pay for this. We helped pay debt down on this. Because you know why? Because we are one church. And we are doing this together. And so if you go to our Wake Forest or Cary location, you know what this is? This is your building. And you know what that is in Cary? Even if you never walk into it, it's your building. And together, that's what we're doing. We're taking our collective resources and we're saying, we believe that that's going to help us move the mission of God forward in our city. And together, we're doing that. So you can say, we have two buildings. We hope there's going to be more than that in the future, but it's we. It's not, hey, look at their building and carry. Don't say that. It's ours. Let's say that. It's ours, right? So we celebrate with those that attend our carry location because especially the setup and teardown teams, if you're here today, let's give them a hand. Thank you for doing all that you do. So that's, that's what's going on at our carry location. Now, 3.5. 3.5 represents these people right here. This is Matt and Emily on the right, the husband and wife, and their little girl is Riley, and they have a baby on the way. That's the 0.5. And so Matt, Emily, and Riley are going to be joining us uh, as our youth and family pastor in Cary uh, starting in January. So they'll be here because we believe by moving into the building in Cary that we are going to continue to reach uh, more people, more young families. You know what young families have? They have kids, they have teenagers, and Matt and Emily have already been doing that very effectively uh, in Celebration Florida, and they're going to be moving here to a much nicer climate, and <laughs> they're going to help reach families, kids, and teenagers in that community. So we'll be welcoming them pretty soon. You'll see a little bit more about them online and in the news, in our e-news. So here's what we're doing in Ecuador. Uh, the two dots at the top are the two churches that we have already planted there over the past several years. Your generosity spent, the, your generosity provided the $80,000 each for those churches. The one at the bottom, that one is not built yet, but it's already been funded. Last year, an organization gave us $80,000 to plant a church there and said, we believe in what you guys are doing. We believe in this church. Here's a check. And so a whole new church is getting planted and there's going to be uh, a trip down there coming up really soon. Next September, uh, you'll learn about that in the e-news in your program. Take a look at that. That's a little bit about what God is doing, what he has done in our church and I think when we decided years ago to be a multiple campus church, it wasn't to be three or four or five or ten different churches. It's to be one church. And we happen to meet across the city in different places. But I want everybody to feel this togetherness because when we're together, like the first century church was together, I believe we'll get what they got. I believe we will see God add to our number like never before. As we continue to say, we're going to do this together and we're going to be better because of it. We're doing a lot of other things with church planting that your generosity helps 
helps fund. We're going to be looking at planting churches in Haiti. Uh, we funded just last week. We sent the money for churches in a country that they even said, please don't announce it anywhere. It's going to be online because it's a country where churches and Christianity are outlawed. But we sent the money so five young pastors and their spouses can be trained to lead a church underground in a place that we can't even put pictures up and show you. But know that your money is going to spread the gospel in a place where the government says you can't do that. We're doing it anyway. And you're helping fund that. And I'll share as much information about that as I can. But that's all they ask. They ask me not to say any more than that. So the baskets are coming down right now. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a couple songs together. And as we do that, I want you to celebrate. Celebrate us being better together. Celebrate the generosity. Celebrate what God has done in your life, in our church's life. As those baskets go around and you give your last offering of the year, just remember and celebrate what God has done as John and Ashley lead us in these last two songs.